But to say the entire world is a circle of relationship seems a bit of a stretch. But that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the circle we know as the entire world and to embrace the entire world, that we're a part of this incredible adventure that's happening right here, right now on planet Earth. And this really comes from the heart of Jesus. As he's praying to his heavenly father just hours before the crucifixion, he is praying for us and who we are in this world. Get what he says here. He's praying for us that we will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. That's the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is pouring out his heart to his heavenly father right before the crucifixion. And what does he pray for? He prays that we would be one, that we would be loving, that we would be serving each other and helping each other, that we would be so showing the love of Jesus that the entire world will believe in Jesus because they see the love of Jesus in us. That's crazy. I mean, that is quite a lofty vision that the church of God, us together, would be so loving that people will see the love of Christ in us. To rephrase it, the world will only know the love of God if they see the love of God in us. That's what Jesus is saying here. The world will only know the love of God if they see the love of God in us because we could talk about the love of God, we could talk about the love of Christ, but if we're not showing it to each other, the world won't know. The world would just think, oh, it's just lip service, it's just their religion. But it doesn't mean anything unless we love one another. And when we love one another, that love pours out into the world and the world takes note. But I remember uh, growing up in a church environment, um, when we talked about the world, the world was the enemy. And if you grew up in church, particularly maybe 70s, 80s, 90s, you, you thought of the world as, as the enemy of God. And here's kind of how this went. I grew up as a youth group, 80s kid, and uh, a chair in youth group was brought up. And the youth pastor, well-intended, would put some, uh, you know, burly dude, you know, like me, super strong athlete, up on top of the chair, and he'd put some, you know, lightweight down at the bottom, and it would be a contest. Who pulls down, who pulls up? The person who pulled down, doesn't matter how athletic this person was, that person always was pulled down. And here's the punchline, right? 1980s youth group. The world will always pull you down. So separate from the world. Don't listen to the world's music. Don't go to the world's movies. Don't make friends with unbelievers. That was pounded into my head as a kid. And so I'm thinking, man, the, the world's a scary place and they'll drag me down. And James 4 was actually used as sort of a proof text Here's James 4.4. 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That was quoted. And I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be swallowed up by this big bad world. And so I did a pretty good job kind of keeping things at, the di at, dis at distance to just kind of, you know, retreat into this little Christian bubble. And then I, I realized as I got older, that is a completely wrong way to read James chapter four. James chapter four is talking about the, the corruption of the world, to not be a friend with the corruption of the world. But certainly, certainly you look at the teaching of Jesus and Jesus is out there in the world and he is befriending the world. In fact, that's one of the things that he was criticized most for, being a friend of sinners. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard and a friend of sinners because he was out there in the world so much. And in fact, the, the most profound but very simple teaching on God's heart for the world is in a very familiar passage, John three sixteen. 
I'm sure you know it if you've spent five minutes in the church. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son, that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. Very simple. God so what? Loved the world. God loves this world. So oftentimes in religious environments, it's about separating from the world and don't participate in the world and don't make friends in the world because they'll drag you down when Jesus did the exact opposite. He fully engaged in the world. He fully engaged in the peop- with the people of the world. He fully engaged in the issues of the day. I mean, the issues of mercy and justice. He was engaged in this world in order to change the world. In fact, you look at, at who Jesus spent time with and who Jesus loved, and the answer is all of the above. He loved everything, everyone. He loved his family, particularly his, his mother and his brothers, a very close relationship there. And his father probably, Joseph probably passed away early. He loved his friends. He gathered his friends together. He said, hey, follow me. And he, he, he gathered a group of friends. First there were the 12 and then the 70 and the 120. And he kept gathering friends and he loved his friends. But even Jesus says, hey, listen, if you love the people that love you, that's no big deal. Everybody does that. He says that in Matthew 5, 46. If you love the people that love you, what reward is there in that? How about loving the people that don't love you? How about loving the people that are difficult to love? Then Jesus models that. He loved the pagans. These are the ones who were worshiping multiple gods, right? These are the, um, you know, the ones who were, who were the invaders from Rome. And they worshiped these pantheon of gods. He loved them. Jesus loved the traitors to his country. These are the tax gatherers. The invaders, uh, Rome, would then hire Jewish people to, to take taxes from their Jewish neighbors. So they were working for the enemy, these traitors of their country. Jesus loved them spent time in their house. One of them even became a disciple. Jesus loved the invaders of his country. He even went to a centurion's home and and gave healing there. Jesus loved the sick and the disabled, those who were looked down upon, those who were considered to be cursed of God. Jesus loved the poor and the exploited, those who were used and abused and dehumanized by the elite. Jesus loved those who were labeled sinners, all these self-righteous religious people condemning all of these people, labeling them sinners. Jesus hung out with them. He was in their homes and he was eating and drinking and it infuriated these religious people who they thought the definition of success was to separate from the world. Jesus is like, forget that, you're boring. I'm going where the action is. I'm going into the world and the people of the world, just normal people living normal lives. I'm gonna be with them. Jesus loved the people without homes, beggars in the streets. Jesus loved the ethnically diverse. I mean, you think we have racial problems now. Wow, rewind the tape 2,000 years. They hated each other calling each other dogs and half-breeds, and yet Jesus treated the Samaritan woman with every bit of dignity and respect as his own countrymen. Jesus loved those trapped in religious slavery. Now, to be clear, the religious elite were Jesus' number one enemy. They hated Jesus. They ended up killing Jesus. These religious purveyors of, of oppression, just laying burdens upon people, religious burdens, you're not good enough, do more. You're distant from God unless you follow our rules, right? Jesus even loved them. Now, yes, he was screaming at them in the courtyards because they were the enemies of the good news of God's grace. But in the quiet of the night, Nicodemus comes and sneaks around and, and, and comes alongside Jesus. And it was Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this religious elite, this oppressor using God's name. 
came and said, Jesus, how do I live this new life? And Jesus talked to him about, you can have a new life. You can have a rebirth and said to him, John 3, 16, God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only son. He said that to Nicodemus, a religious leader. God not only loved the religious leader, get this, Nicodemus was a politician because the religious leaders ran the city. Jesus even loved politicians. Can you even imagine that? I'm still getting my head around that. It's hard to understand, but it's true. Jesus loved the man being executed right next to him. A thief on the cross. He had the wherewithal to say, today you're going to be with me in paradise. As Jesus was being crucified, he was loving another one who was being crucified that day. Jesus even loved the ones who were murdering him. The ones who beat him. The ones who whipped him. The ones who pressed crown of thorns into his head. Beating him with rods. Mocking him. Nailing the spikes in his hands and his feet, stripping him naked, lifting him up in front of the entire city. The ones who would eventually put a spear in his side. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus even loved his own murderers. Can you imagine that? That's the love of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus and he loved and he loved and he loved and he loved. And so we're faced with a bit of a choice. If God so loves the world, and Jesus modeled that kind of love, how do we look at the world around us? How do we look at the world? And how do we look at the people around us? I'm going to ask us to do something this morning. It's going to be a challenge. Learn to love the big, beautiful world filled with 7,846,000,000 beautiful people. Can we get our heads and our hearts around this big concept here, right? This is a big concept that we're going to embrace this world. We're going to love this world. We're going to consider this world one of the relationship circles in which we live. And we're going to love it all. Love it. I mean like a radical, heartfelt embrace of this big, beautiful world and 7.846 billion beautiful people. Try to get your head around that. And for some of you, you're thinking, uh, that ain't going to happen. I'm not a big fan of what's happening in this world, and certainly I'm not a fan of a lot of the people in this world. This is going to be tough for me to embrace this big, beautiful world. I don't think it's very beautiful at times. To embrace all of these beautiful people, well, not everybody's beautiful, and I'd rather kind of keep my distance. Listen, I get that. I get that. The, the people of this world and the conflicts of the world and the injustice of the world and, and the battles in this world can be a little bit much. And so the, the concept of embracing this whole thing and declaring it beautiful and declaring all 7.846 billion people to be beautiful. I mean, I know this is difficult. These are the people who are filling our freeways. Right? They're kind of in my way. I got stuff to do. Back east, if you're back east, these are the people hoarding your gas, right? Earlier in the pandemic, they're taking your toilet paper. These are the people who don't believe the same things that I do. These are the people who are voting for a different politician than I vote for. These are the people that have different opinions about their faith than I do. These are sometimes just flat-out annoying people that I can't stand to be around, like Marty Snodgrass. No, he's good. His buddy I'm a little iffy on. It's difficult to fully embrace this world. And we see what's happening. I mean, we see terrible violence against innocent people. Uh, with a world so small, social media and news media, we see every single day coming across our feeds, every day just images of terrible violence and injustice. And, and when you have death counts that involve children, it just does something to your soul. So I understand, listen, it's hard to 
embrace this big, beautiful world when you see so much destruction, so much loss and pain in this world. See, Israel and Palestine have been kind of, you know, settled down for seven years, and then, well, here we go again, lobbing thousands of weapons across a very short border. We see conflicts all over the world, civil wars erupting in the Mideast and, and in Africa, and, and there's just conflict after conflict. It's hard for us to embrace this as a big, beautiful world. I get it. We still have a disparity of wealth. When we have half of 1% controlling 50% of the world's wealth, with a third of the world living on $2 a day, half the world living on less than $5 a day, you, we just see problems that have yet to be solved, and I understand that. When you have terrible injustices happening every day across the world, driven by racism and classism and sexism, things that break our hearts. No doubt when you heard about this uh, terrorist bombing outside of an Afghan girls' school, I mean, you ju- how, can, how can any human being literally blow up school girls after school? It just, I mean, I just had to weep when I heard that on the radio just to spend some time, just the, the tragedy and the horror of that. I get it. It's hard to believe this is a big, beautiful world. And then sometimes we have our personal troubles. You know, we have personal loss and personal grief and personal injustices that we suffer or accidents or circumstances that just kind of happen randomly. And the little annoyances every day that kind of grind on us, I I get that, that we can have some trouble declaring this a big, beautiful world. But I want us to, to settle that down a little bit. Instead of seeing all the problems front and center, and there are problems and there are real risks for sure. Instead of seeing that, which the human brain is wired to see, the human brain is wired for survival, so it's wired to see threats. And so we see threats, and we oftentimes see worst-case scenarios because that's how we stay alive, right? We avoid threats. So the brain is wired to see threats, but every once in a while, we have to force that brain to just kind of refocus on the good that's happening. Because I'm telling you, there is so much good happening in this world, and it's hard to say that when we're five minutes out of this massive pandemic. You know, we're now kind of mask-free here and mask-optional. It, it is, it's wonderful to sort of be in a good spot. We're seeing this post-COVID reality emerge, but we're still feeling the pain of 2020 and a little bit into 2021 here. It's hard to see some good news. But I'm going to speak some truth to you, and I just want you to, to think about trying to maybe perhaps believe this. Right now, right here, we have the lowest level of violence than at any time in human history. In our world right now, this big, beautiful world, lowest level of violence at any time in human history. The greatest levels of peace than at any time in human history. Longest lifespans than at any time in human history. There's more effort to clean uh, dirty air and and dirty water than at any time in human history, going toward the goal of of carbon-free emissions by 2050 in some of our lifetimes. Maybe not mine, but some of you youngins. We'll have a carbon-free world. Less slavery than at any time in human history. There are still pockets of slavery that we're going after. More effort to ensure human rights globally than at any time in human history. Even abortion rates are the lowest ever recorded in the United States of America, and it's plummeting. Population growth has slowed. As many countries are now thinking, we might have too few babies being born here pretty soon. Unfortunately, there's a solution for that. Uh, if you need help on, on figuring out why, just let me know afterwards. And, and even in this terribly devastating COVID year that we've had, the scientific community came up with a vaccine, effective vaccines, multiples within eight to nine months. It is incredible, saving millions of lives. What's happening in our world today is utterly stunning, stunning. 
all indicators of, of health and prosperity are going up and up and up. Combating injustices, combating inequalities in a determined way globally. Yes, there are pockets of disasters. I get that. But let's look at the positives as well. Slowly, year after year, generation after generation, we're beginning to align with the mission of Jesus. We're beginning to align with the heart of Jesus. So what are we going to choose to believe? Are we going to choose to believe that, that when, when Jesus himself entered the world and says, I'm bringing heaven here, I'm going to do it. I'm bringing heaven here. Are we going to follow him in that vision and say, yes, we're going to partner with Jesus. As the people of God, we're going to partner with Jesus to bring heaven to earth. That yes, things are getting better. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to see the things that are getting better and be excited about that and, and make them even better still. Or are we going to choose to believe that we live in a massive dumpster fire going to hell in a handbasket surrounded by an apocalypse? That's what you get a lot from religious circles. Ah, it's never been worse. And you know, God, get us out of here. Come, Jesus, come. I need to leave so you can blow the rest of the place up. And that's a lot of the theology that's out there. And that, I'm telling you, is just not aligned with what Jesus said he was all about. I'm going to show you in Luke chapter 4, Jesus basically saying hello world. Jesus is in a, a local synagogue, and he's announcing himself and announcing what he's all about. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's reading right from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll and says, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, I'm here. I'm going to do it. I am bringing God's favor to the earth. I'm bringing freedom for the oppressed. I'm bringing wellness to the sick. I am bringing a new day right here and right now. And immediately, the people in that synagogue said, you're crazy. Chaos erupted, and Jesus was kicked out of town. That's how Jesus started his ministry. Because that group 2,000 years ago could not believe that Jesus could actually bring heaven to earth. You're crazy, Jesus. Especially not from you. You hillbilly Nazarene. Not going to happen through you. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we are starting to align our values with the values of Jesus. We're starting to get there. We're starting to actually say the prayer that Jesus asked us to pray 2,000 years ago. How should we pray, Jesus? This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, we honor your name. We ask that your kingdom come now. Not wait for us to die and go to paradise, but to bring paradise here. I do believe there's life after death. Looking forward to that. Not yet, not anytime soon. But I, I love the promise of life after death. But let's not lose sight of the vision that Jesus had for this earth right now. He said, pray with me. The kingdom of heaven come here and now. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Let's get on board with that. This is a big, beautiful world that God so loved. Filled with 7.846 beautiful people. Yet, and yes, there are some of those people that are knuckleheads. For sure. Maybe love them and give grace and give forgiveness so that they can no longer be knuckleheads. Yes, there's problem areas in this world, for sure. 
let's do what we can to see those problem areas maybe improved and let's use the voice that we have to, to help bring fixes where things are broken. And how do we fix what's broken? This won't surprise you. Mercy, justice, and love. Mercy, justice, and love. In fact, Jesus says, or, or scripture says in, in Micah 6, 8, the Lord has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Jesus himself says what's most important. He says, Pharisees, religious elites, you pay tithes of spices, yet you've neglected the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. How do we change this world? Mercy, justice, and love. I wanna bring a few friends up here and we're gonna have a little conversation about how we can put this to work, how we can actually bring the change that Jesus himself prayed for, that we would bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We have Dion, Rachel, Shane, and John. Let's welcome them up. This is uh, the team, part of the team, that mobilizes uh, us all in the areas of mercy and justice. We'll get to know them a little bit um, tonight as well and, and specifically how to get involved. Um, but let's start with you, John. John, you are the brand new executive director of Community Mission of Hope. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks. We, um, we stole Megan from the Community Mission of Hope. Uh, we had a youth pastor opening. Hard shoes to fill. Y yes, They're expecting for sure. me to do you know, youth group games and stuff at CMOH. <laughs> right. You'll learn, you'll learn. <laughs> so we took Megan as youth pastor. She uh, just is called to work with youth and it was a great transition. Uh, but you were right there. One of the reasons why we were so free to bring her here is because you were right there and you were serving. You've been on our boards. You have all kinds of business, nonprofit and fundraising expense. So the, the mission is in good hands. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good. Excellent. I'm happy to hear you say that. <laughs> um, how have you seen, not just in Community Mission of Hope, but throughout your career, how have you seen people who step up and to, to show mercy to people who are in need, how are they changed uh, as they serve? That's a different question, Scott. I like it. I'll, I'll make it personal. Um, in my life, I was, uh, my mom was quite a caregiver. She was a dietitian in the community, probably should have been a doctor. She was born too early in time, right? Okay. And so I uh, grew up with a brother um, who's Down syndrome. And uh, when you're growing up in that kind of environment and you have a mom like mine, you don't realize that that individual is different. Small story, I, there were some kids playing out front of our house and they were making fun of my brother. They were saying that like, he, he talks funny, he, you know, I don't understand him. And I was really, really upset um, because there was something wrong about that. So I go and I tell my mom and she goes, hon, listen, calm down. Those, those idiots out there, <laughs> they don't understand German. Your brother actually speaks two different languages. <laughs> so that's the framework of reference that I grew up with, right? Yeah. And so I, I think over time that really, um, it, well, I know it impacted myself and my wife. And so um, when we were in Northern California, uh, my son was in a Bible class and he was paired with a young man, Markel. Mark, you've met yeah, Markel yeah, yeah. Smith. Yep. And uh, Markel came to our house one day and he just never left. And, uh, and some people would say, why did you not kick the kid out, right? Well, what we did know was that for probably two or three years, he and his mom were homeless. There was a benefactor to the private school he was going to, but we just didn't understand that. Um, so that young man really became a son of mine. Um, and I came from the Midwest where prejudiced and Markel was an African-American young man. And so that was kind of looked at pretty weirdly and differently even to this day. Um, so I, I find in my personal life that many of us just need to take 
that next step to help others. You know, not to steal from you, Dion, but to be the hands of Jesus means being open to it. And um, Markel has hugely impacted our personal lives, one that I would never change. And um, you don't really get to understand someone else's life until you, you know, sacrifice in such a way that you change your life, right? Because all of a sudden I have this young man and I got to take him to go get his hair cut. And he's like, John, as he called me, he says, I don't go to the normal white guy's <laughs> barber shop. And I said, neither do I. I go to the salon. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. but, uh, but that's when people ask me, why do you do what you do? I just say, why don't we all do a little bit of that? Yeah. But that's, again, coming back, that's how I was raised. And a tribute to my mom, who was the greatest reframer of life. You know, in these times, 2020, the word is pivot and reframe. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Well, you had that uh, a generational experience where your mom sort of taught you the values of, of caregiving for people who are less fortunate. Yeah. And uh, so being raised in that environment, you now have a little more tools in your tool belt to sort of, sort of more naturally care for people around you. Um, for a lot of us that don't necessarily have that experience, I think what you're saying is we can begin that. We can be generation number one that steps up and says, Absolutely. I'm going to start looking for where there's need and try to meet that need. Right. Well, at CMOH, we have a lot of great opportunities for you to kind of step in easily and, you know, without, without a lot of pressure. Uh, a quick story. We have a new volunteer that came to work with us a couple months ago, uh, Alice. Um, had a couple years of serious health issues, uh, semi-cancerous, uh, was living with her grandkids and kind of found her only purpose in meeting, meaning was helping them. Uh, kind of fast forward to the last couple months, she actually, her health is better. She doesn't have that. She thought she was gonna die. And, and all of a sudden her grandkids don't need her because now they're back in school, okay. right? So she comes to CMOH and in, in, literally in a couple days, she now has friends she has purpose and a place where she belongs. And I think that that's kind of the formula that helps us to engage to help others that, that we may see as being different. And how do I help? That's Sometimes perfect. just showing up and being available. That's perfect. And then not only are we helping people in need, but we find ourselves becoming um, a better people, uh, more connected, some good friends, and, uh, and our lives yeah. improve as well. And, yeah. Exactly. And she is like super strong now. Yeah. I mean, that, now we've been going for a couple months. She feels better. You know, she's into a routine of, of, um, that gives her purpose every That's day. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Now, Rachel, your job around here is to mobilize us uh, to serve locally and regionally, particularly in, in terms of, of mercy. And I know for a lot of us, we might hear about mercy, justice, and love, and we certainly see the example of Jesus, and uh, we see the scriptural teachings about doing something. So we have the desire maybe, but there's that bridge of how do I then start doing this stuff and, uh, and help us figure out how to cross that bridge. Well, I mean, really, it just requires acting on it. So, and awareness, uh, what are the needs right in front of me and what is within my power to be able to help that need? Um, we have many ministries here at Rancho that uh, make a difference in thousands of people's of lives, so we could always use your help here. Um, but it also, I mean, you can just look within your own home 
uh, your neighbors, your own town. And that is something I do, you know, one of the main things I love about Jesus was he was just out in the streets, in the community with the people there. Um, And so we can bring healing that way um, into our communities. And one of the things in my life that really, really made a difference um, for me and that I'll never forget was um, years ago, I was a full-time working mom and my daughter was walking to and from school uh, by herself. And one of her friend's moms said, hey, I can give her a ride. And to her, it was no big deal at all. She was passing right by my home. But to me, it meant all the difference to know that my daughter was getting to school and back home safely. So sometimes it can be that simple, just offering a ride or maybe mowing a lawn or visiting somebody who's lonely. And at times, I mean, it's hard. It requires us to go out of our comfort zone at times. But as we've heard, I mean, the rewards are just amazing. And science backs it up too. It's beneficial for us to serve just as much as it is is for the person receiving help. Um, So yeah, I say just, hey, just go out there, um, get your foot in the door, we can help you out here, I can help you um, to find an area. And if, if you do start, Um, volunteering in a certain area and it's not working out, don't get discouraged. It took me several different, you know, places to try to figure out where exactly I was a good fit in. So yeah, don't get discouraged. Um, Just try something else if there's, if it's not a good fit. That's great. So if any of you have, uh, say, a heart to help in areas of of mercy, uh, regionally, community mission of hope, they're here. And so uh, particularly, you know, your job is to mobilize us and get us to find that right fit and, uh, and keep trying until, until something clicks. But we have got so many opportunities right here. There's some good community partners, but we've got our own rescue mission, our own farm that we launched, uh, and so many uh, ministries of mercy right here that we have birthed. Uh, if you have a, a heart to help, I guarantee you we have a place for you. And if we don't, you're going to help us start one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Shane, your uh, job around here is to mobilize students in particular on the school, uh, with the school as well as church. Uh, before COVID, we were on track to mobilize over 100 kids to six countries. We had done that previous years, and, uh, and then the whole thing got shut down. But we're remobilizing um, the mobilization of our youth to get overseas to learn and to serve. Why is that so important at a young age? Yeah, that's, that's a cool question. Um, we all know that foundations are everything, and we, we build those foundations, obviously, when, you're, when we're young, or at least the deepest ones, the ones that are set, the ones that are going to guide and inform uh, the rest of our decisions, right? And so, you know, when I was young, God used Rancho to build some foundations in my life, and one of those was to have a global vision, because Rancho was always global-minded, and that really set me in a, in, in a context as a human on something that was bigger than Temecula. So I'm like in the (laughs) smallest town in the world with the biggest vision, right? And um, so I'm very thankful for the foundations that were set through Rancho. And that really got me through some hard times because having that that meaning, right? Christ calling someone like me into a life that's that big was what I needed to make some big changes in my life. And so now having that opportunity to do that with young people I think that's, that's the thing, setting those foundations, setting them in a global perspective. And one of the, 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 the key takeaways is, is really helping these young people, like we're talking about today, to, to value this earth that God made and to value the humans that they are and the ones around them. 
And having these different relationships and experiencing these people in different contexts and being loved by them and in breaking stereotypes and all of that stuff helps them gain that value. And you know, if we don't value something, we don't, we don't treat it well, right? I've got things that I don't value sitting in my garage. They're going to be there forever until I either dump them or burn them or whatever, right? Or give them to my kids so they can keep in their garages <laughs> for, so for generations yes. on end. And... Um, but anyway, so we, this earth is good. And it took me a while, you know, Scott, when you talk about the, you know, hey, things are getting better. You know, my eyebrows raise for the reasons you mentioned, because of my experience in life. Man, geez, it sure doesn't seem like it sometimes. But, but I start thinking that the gospel, the holistic gospel, is that God changes things. And there's, there's nothing that, that humans can do to God's great creation that Christ can't fix, and that's the gospel. Like, it's, it's, it's almost like, really, Adam and Eve just in one little eat an apple and, and every, oh my God, you know, like, come on, we just got to think of the bigger picture and really listen and pay attention and, and let God transform us to value this place. And that's what we want to do for the kids. That's what we want to do with you all and your families. And that's what we're doing through the Go Beyond program. Well, and I love the, the simple idea that to fix what is broken, and you know, you referenced that Adam and Eve story, and it's kind of, it's the, it's the illustration of the, of, of the broken world. It, we break the world through pride, through selfishness, but then immediately afterwards, God starts a plan of fixing it, and, and he fixes it through Jesus, and then Jesus says to us, I'm going to fix it actually through you, you know, and that's the cool part about being part of the family of faith is Jesus himself is fixing a broken world through us. Now, Dion, um, you do a lot around here, man. You teach theology out here at Rancho Christian. You uh, lead worship. You are a studio musician. And so we got to know you through Marietta, through your voice, and then through the school, hiring a theology teacher. And we also asked you to be a voice of, of justice, to equip us in justice here. Mercy is simpler. There's a need, let's meet the need. You wanna do it with respect and dignity and, and help in a way that, uh, that actually helps and not hurts. But justice is so much more complicated. Justice, big institutions, we've heard the, the term systemic and centuries that pour into certain injustices. And so you're helping us try to figure out how we can have a voice and use our platform. How can we get involved in things of justice so we're not just paralyzed? Well, I'll tell you this, I'll answer that, that question by a song. Being a musician, I can hear a song and it ministers to me just like yeah. hearing you preach. So. Uh, this morning when I was getting into the car, there's a song that was playing called, by Casting Downs called Start Right Here. It, it impacted me so much that I sent it to Evan. I was like, yo, we got to do this, right? <laughs> but the other part of it is, it just said, let the work of Christ start right here, right? In my heart, in my mind, in my, my sphere of influence, in my church, and then from there, we can affect the world. And that's simply the best way I've, I can put it. If we all can look and see if there's any type of injustice around us, and if we start speaking to that, if we attack that immediately as if we would want somebody to attack it if it was for us, if we do that and have that same spirit, the same tenacity, and the same heart to love on people that hard, then we will be doing the work of Christ as it relates to justice. So it starts with us, and so that means, you know, instead of being paralyzed, and I'm often paralyzed by, by the justice issues, they're so big, they're so profound, sometimes they're kind of baked into our whole governmental system and societal structures, and how can we tackle this? 
your point, and, and as well as yours with, uh, with mercy, is do something right now yeah. in, in my life. So if we see somebody, even our kids in, in, the, uh, in the school campus being bullied, can we equip our kids to step in and give justice to the one being bullied? Yeah. Step up, say something, right? Step in that gap. If we see any injustice in our office, where somebody is, is clearly getting pushed aside, they're clearly getting marginalized over racial issues, uh, or, or over gender, and to be able to step in and say, hey, let's work together to make this right. Um, we can move the needle on justice issues in our own lives, right? It starts here. I love that. Absolutely. And then you also talk about kind of our social media platform as well, because we all kind of have a voice to the world these days. This is true. And, 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 and more so than ever. Like you have immediate access to people all over the world. So even on social, on social media, if there's anything that needs to be said, do, if you feel the need that, that, that I need to be the voice of Christ here, do that. And I, I just think about a person who is being bullied and then someone coming around there, putting their arm around them and say, guys, that's enough. Yeah. Girls, that's enough. Yeah. Leave them alone. How much are they feeling the love of God in that moment? Yeah, yeah. And we could do the same thing. Social media is serious for these younger people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so even us as adults, uh, the older generations, as, as, you know, as well as the middle generation, and, and those of you who are very young, you can make a difference. Absolutely. Your voice does matter. Speak for Christ. Love that. Thank you very much, you guys. That's uh, meant a lot. Appreciate that. And I'm telling you, if, if you have a heart for mercy, a heart for justice, we can get you in the game. We have got dozens and dozens of, of ways to serve here locally and globally throughout the world. I want to close with just one thought. We talked about 7,846,000,000 people on the earth. It's an overwhelming number. Big, beautiful earth, 7.846 billion people. Because God is an eternal God, he eternally loves every single one, including you. You are not just a number to God. You're not just one of the masses in God's eyes. God is your heavenly father. And he says to you in a very individual and personal way, I love you. I cherish you. You're my perfect son. You're my perfect daughter. God celebrates when we're successful. He celebrates our gifts and skills and abilities and talents. He knows our weaknesses, our faults, our flaws, and our failures. And he whispers to you, I know I've forgiven you. You're forgiven. Always. Everything you've ever done, everything you ever will done, you're forgiven. We're good. God loves you that much. And he just wants you to know that. And then he kind of whispers in your ear, you know how much I love you? The more you grow in my love for you, look around. Look around. That love is for everybody. And God says, I love them with my heart, but my hands are your hands. My feet are your feet. Let's love the world the way God loves us. And then the world will know that God truly loves them. If we just preach messages about love, but we leave unchanged, nothing's going to happen. The world is not going to get better because of us. But I'm telling you, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is coming right here and right now, when God says to us, I'm going to fix the world through you, it's up to every single one of us to come to that moment of decision. Am I just going to have a heart for mercy? Am I just going to have a heart for justice? Or am I going to get in the game and do something? It might start very small in your own personal life then maybe you get to some structural stuff here through a ministry of Rancho. Maybe it gets bigger than that. Who knows? But let's all of us say that it's not just about having a heart. It's not just about the message. At some point, I'm going to get involved to change the world through the mercy, justice, and love of Christ. Let's pray. 
God, we honor you and thank you for this morning, the ability to just take about an hour of our time every Sunday to honor you through music, to hear from you through your word, but most of all, to look directly at Jesus. He is the one that we follow. He is the one we serve, and we see his heart loving this world, loving this big, beautiful world and every single one on it. As difficult and trying and challenging and as annoying as this world can be, would you change our hearts and change our minds to love the world like Jesus did? And then when the time is right to take some action in the areas of mercy, justice, and love, to be kind, to be polite, to be selfless, to be generous, to help make this world a little more like heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.